Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are exploring the world of technology. A lot of people concerned about whether or not this is a boom or a bust with some downside risk as we see the Nasdaq hit all-time highs. The reality is we've been through this before with the tech wreck. That was over 20 years ago and where are we sitting now? We're looking at a huge opportunity. Plenty of things to take out of this interview and more importantly, don't take notes. Make sure you take action. See you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my co-host and offsider, Mitchell Laurentia. Always a pleasure to be here, Mr. B. Now, as professional traders, we're always looking for the next next best opportunity. However, the opportunity we've certainly seen over the last year has been in the tech sector. I want to talk to you today about whether the fact it's a continuing boom or a potential bust. Gee, this is flashback time for me because I remember having first moved to Australia in 99, trading through the uh, the tech wreck was exactly the same dilemma where you had a market that was at all-time highs, blistering performance. And it's a question of, I guess, rather like pass the parcel, you just don't want the music to stop. But when it does, yeah, it's it's a, a very interesting time. So yeah, we've definitely had a boom out of the market, plus 41% for the last 12 months, which is just you know an eye-popping return driven by some very spectacular things. And is that the start of the momentum and the great takeover of tech in the world economy, or has it run its course and is starting to implode? I think it's a big question, and I guess we'll, we'll flesh that out today. So if we we look at some of the stocks that make up the NASDAQ, so as you say, NASDAQ, I think it's up about 42.5% the last year at the mm. time of this recording. The Magnificent Seven is what everyone talks about. So there you Google's Amazon, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta. These guys have had some crazy growth, particularly NVIDIA, best performing stock. Why have they done so well? I think if you look back various waves through history, and you could argue, you know, going way, way back, even before my time, if we go that far back. That's old. You, know, you had the railways, and then along came the car manufacturers, and then along came the plane manufacturers. Uh, and then there's always the next thing, that next sort of part of the cycle. And, and technology, yeah, it's just such a huge part of everything that we do. And just when you think it's saturated and, okay, we've got a DVD player or maybe Blu-ray, for example, the next thing that comes along is streaming. And there'll be something that sits in behind that too. It's just one of those things that continues to develop at ever-increasing rates. And I think specifically the COVID pandemic probably became a defining moment for tech. It's always there. And rather than be seen as, oh, it's an efficiency measure or it's an entertainment factor, it came in over the hill as the savior for many, many businesses. You know, if we look at what we do, for example, through using Zoom, you know, without Zoom, where would you be? You know, you couldn't do face-to-face meetings, you couldn't do seminars uh, on whether it's Zoom or Webinar Jam or Skype or whatever you might choose to use. Forced diffusion almost. It did. It came to the fore and has now become that almost indispensable commodity that you couldn't simply manage without. And and I think that backdrop particularly really sealed the deal, if you will, for technology and, and its role in both business pleasure and in the current society. And it's one of those things, once you've been used to something, it's very hard to let go of. You know, I was just having this conversation with my old chap uh, the other night, and my dad is still somebody that reads the newspaper. I think he reads every word. It's better value for money when you do that. They still and, exist, newspapers? They do. And I said, really? well, yeah, um, we, I had to introduce him to the concept of legacy media which he hadn't come across before and explain how and why. And then just showing him, for example, just how my wife's Instagram account works. You know, she's got quite a decent following on there and the immediacy of reach and how product placement and advertising and all of that stuff really works in, in this new era. And he was 
he was absolutely fascinated with it. We, we, we even had an experiment that, you know, let's look up on Google electric blankets, uh, which is what we decided on. Started looking at that. Next thing you know, it's on your Facebook feed. And it's like, wow, how do they know to advertise for you? Well, it's because that's what you're looking for. And it was, it was incredible for him at 82 to see just how real and visceral these things are. And he doesn't have a smartphone. You know, he's got a wooden keyboard on his Nokia brick that he still uses. Battery lasts a lot longer than uh, the iPhone, I have to say. Very sturdy phone, and, the Nokia. And, 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 and he hadn't really been privy to that because it's not his, his, his domain. And that really opened up this huge conversation about, you know, particularly with COVID, for example, that, you know, people started to shop online and they could trust shopping online. You know, from a fraud perspective, it's much safer. The convenience of not having to go into town and find a park and go to the shop and find out it's not in the size or color you want and you got to come back next week. All of those things. And it's, and it is a revolution and explaining it to my, my father and, and, and seeing his eyes light up in amazement at how it actually works. He doesn't live under a rock, but it's just not his lane really reflects just how far the things that we assume is normal are but how different they are from what the world was like not that long ago so these guys are on this enormous momentum surge and right place right time and they're capitalizing on it like there's no tomorrow you know a good example of course in in in, in the, the the magnificent seven particularly with nvidia is that use of ai and where it's going to take the industry for its next growth leg assuming it's not in the boom-bust cycle. That's right. And, and we'll get to talk about that in a, in a few moments' time. But, you know, these are companies that they don't value up in the normal way. So if you're a stock trader and you're an old-school stock trader, you look at your price earnings and PE you ratio. go, okay, if this is the earnings, yep. the P ratio, this is what the price is, and all that's 30 times, that's way too expensive to invest in. But the, these companies are way beyond that in most instances when you look at them from a PE perspective. You know, they're incredibly priced for the future as to what they're going to deliver. Yeah. You can't really value them, I guess, at the moment based on their PE because they've got such insatiable, insatiably strong growth prospects. Well, you turn the clock back 20 years ago with Amazon. And interesting enough, was it 97 or something? I think Amazon started out. Thereabouts. And, and, and you, you sort of think, okay, say, say, say 2000, 2002, and the PE might have been some obscene number after the tech wreck. And, and you go, how can a business justify a valuation like that? And yet, Look at the bemoth organization it's become. So you're buying your chance of the future then, but you've got to be prepared to stump up some, some cash for it. Rather like Tesla, you know, five, 10 years ago, you know, it's like, okay, well, you can invest in Tesla. Oh, it's a bit of a concept. Uh, and now it's market capitalization is worth more than every other car manufacturer combined. It's extraordinary. So you're buying a stake in the future and these companies trade at high multiples, which makes buying the right business even more important from a risk perspective because you know if you put your money on the wrong horse it's going to come back and bite you we'll talk about investment strategy if we go through that's right and i think there's been so much chatter in the market the last six months particularly around earnings season which is where we sit right Mm. about now is if these companies can justify their super high valuations which they have you look at companies like nvidia Mm. i mean i think their revenue was something along the lines of 16 billion greater than the previous quarter Mm. that they came in at and super high earnings per share, which if you're an investor looking at that, Mm. it kind of justifies the price, right? It does. Price and value are very different things. Price is what you pay, value is what you get. And if you've got a business that's got a brilliant game plan and and has a a future vision that you you align with, well, how do you put a valuation on that? Yeah, if your view is that, you know, I use Tesla as the example, no one's going to be interested in an electric car. Well, clearly they are. They albeit, are, yeah. Albeit 6% of Americans, according to, to, to one interview I heard. 
today. But, you know, the, the reality is that seems to be the trend that's happening. And as a consequence, it's it, you need to be in that market and you've got to pay an admission fee for it. And it's going to be at a premium now because you're laid in. But making money in the stock market is such a psychological game, Mitch. You know, everyone thinks you've got to buy low and sell high, but you can buy high and sell higher and still make money. You just got to have, I would say, better risk management in that situation. There's a lot of fresh air underneath you when you're coming in on a stock that's, you know, the crazily high multiple, but the the earnings are most certainly coming in. You know, had a a number of stocks, Meta, I think, reported and and, and a couple of others. Yeah, popped up. uh, And and, and they're huge numbers, they're unfathomable numbers. Well, I think Microsoft and Apple, they are about three trillion market cap each, which is, you know, greater than most com- the most countries' GDP. Absolutely. And again, you know, the businesses that aren't in the down, they weren't around 30, 40 years ago. It's just a, a, a new business, which is insane that you can create something of such value and literally usurp anything that's out there. I guess the other side of the coin is that these businesses typically are very, very low debt because they're highly cash-generative businesses that, <clears throat> how can you put it, they don't require as much infrastructure in the traditional sense. So let's say you... Yeah, you know, your, your, your Rolls Royce engine manufacturing. You know, the cost of plant equipment and so on is astronomically high in that space. And it requires enormous capital expenditure to develop a new type of plane engine. You know, you look at the often spend my time sort of looking out the window and looking back a bit at the w- engines on the wing of the plane. And, and, and you think, you know, there's enormous faith placed in those things that are rotating at thousands of RPM. The IP, the technology, the the know-how, the quality of build, all of those things are going at all of us risk our life getting on a plane. It's not something you give any thought to because these companies have spent that money doing it. That's huge capital expenditure for that traditional type of business. Technology companies don't really have that in the same way. And very so scalable. It's a, it's a very, very scalable business. And so, yeah, when the earnings do come in the door, it's, 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 it's all jam. That's right. With that, though, we know there are always risks. So if we look at some sector risks for the tech sector specifically, AB, a big one is regulation. Yeah. And we recently saw just a week or two ago, Mark Zuckerberg have to make you know, a very public apology. And the regulator can sometimes catch up with these companies and, and hit them pretty hard, right? Yeah, look, I actually listened to a good chunk of that Senate inquiry. And it's interesting. This this will just be really interesting to see how this comes across. And in my mind's eye, there clearly is a need. There is a need for regulation in in tech. And again, you know, having this conversation, you know, with with my dad, you know, we're talking about the newspaper that he happened to be reading that day and, you know, alongside probably, you know, a few hundred thousand other people that read that newspaper versus the hundreds of millions of people that read stuff on social media. And we're talking about how we advertise and why there's just no point in printed media because, yeah, it's just, it's 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 what it is. And... The difference is that in a newspaper or, or in legacy media, if you publish or, or, or distribute something that's factually incorrect or defamatory, you're liable for it. Whereas social media particularly doesn't seem to be in that you can have anything on your platform, which is a multi-user platform. You allow other people to post and the, 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 the claim is that, well, we don't edit anything and therefore we can't have an editorial liability. And this is a huge thing. I think the rate is legislation 240 or something in the US and exact number escapes me, but there's specific legislation that social media is exempt from of not having editorial control, which on one metric you could argue is is, is, is probably quite right in that if somebody posts something and, and out of the millions of eyeballs that see it, somebody in the comment section says something, it's very, very hard to 
moderate and, and almost and impossible, that. right? At the same time, very clearly, yeah, and we've seen this firsthand, social media is screened. And if it's a message that seems to be aligned with the values of that business, gets more promotion and airtime than something that isn't. So there is clearly a level of filter in some way, shape, or form an algorithm in the, for doing that. And they've been able to tiptoe around the raindrops and continue to print massive money yeah, as, a, as an advertising line. And I think at some point that regulation, just like it always does with new industries, I know, you know social media is not new, but the leg- legislation is a long way behind, does need to catch up with that. And what was really fascinating, number one, yeah, Zuckerberg apologized to some of the parents that had lost children to, to suicide on the back of bullying from platforms and things like that. And what I thought was a little bit crass was it, I think it was more of a photo opportunity for the, the, the congressmen, the senators that were running that inquiry, their gotcha moment and getting some PR from it rather than anything of more substantive note because had Mark Zuckerberg apologized, number one, I think from his perspective, he would have been far better off saying, listen, I'm not going to have this conversation in public, but I'm more than happy to meet privately with our sincere condolences with all of those parents. But it's a private thing. It's not something that you senators can use to get some electoral collateral from in the first instance. And and secondly, the Senate fell well short of saying, okay, well, you've apologized. Now, what do you plan to implement to make sure that this stops? They they didn't go that far in that inquiry. So you know, there's a lot of noise around that. But at the same time, one of the areas that they were driving into very specifically was about people that were looking up, you know, child abuse, which is obviously, you know, heinous. And if you look at that material, it comes up with, do you need resources or help? Clearly you do, if you're looking at that kind of thing. Otherwise, click here for for the image. And I just can't understand how you'd still put that image or images up. Surely it would be better off flicking those details on to law enforcement and letting them knock on the door of the person saying, here's some resources for you to deal with. You know, and it just makes no sense from a, maybe I'm just old school and no, looking for a moral total end. sense, to be but honest. It, but, you know, it's something that is illegal in pretty much every jurisdiction, if not every jurisdiction on the planet. So why wouldn't you filter people out that are involved with that and making sure that the authorities can deal with them rather than a sort of very soft and liberal, oh, do you need some help? Well, you obviously do. Yeah. Anyway, parking that, that little issue, it's a very, very interesting inquiry to listen to. The challenge is that these tech giants are of such vast size that they almost are masters of the universe. They have an ability to control widespread thought and, and even potentially an election outcome through that. So some level of regulation to restore a balance of power is important. On the other side of the coin is someone that's a free marketeer if someone's been incredibly successful, they shouldn't be penalized for being incredibly successful either. They found a nation, they've built a huge business model out of it. What have they done wrong? So it's, it, it is a very complex area and there are, there are shreds and threads all the way through there that need looking at for sure. But very, very interesting. And it is a big risk for the sector insofar as if tougher regulation comes in, then it will almost certainly affect things like advertising revenue lines, which you know is, is the main driver. Uh, and I guess competition is the other one that's in there with that race to supremacy or superpower status with, with AI. Uh, who's going to be the first to cross the line to really capitalize on that and that'll be the i think we talked about this quite some time ago with ai it's not the companies with ai it's going to be the first person that's able to harness it in an incredibly powerful way for everybody to benefit from that's right i think you know any company with ai exposure at the moment is doing quite well on the prospect of it being really good when someone finally cracks that nut and the others are left behind you'll almost have the have and the have nots is the way i would see it 
Very much so. Yeah, and and, and so there, there are two two big threats in there. I guess the other one from a legislative point of view, just circling back to that, is that you know you you, you start to go, you're too big. We need to split you into different things. And again, you can see there's an argument for that, but there's also, well, isn't that capitalism where you've got a business model that just grows because it's found its niche? Imagine Amazon saying, look, you can sell books, but you shouldn't be selling storage space for companies to run their data on your clouds. We don't want that in the same business. Yeah, who's to make that decision? Yeah, gotcha. So, you know, interesting times, but that that, that main one, I think, is, is, is regulatory risk for sure. So the fun part of all of our episodes, AB, we talk about how to make some money from this. Mm. As professional traders, these are the opportunities we review literally every mm. day. You're looking at individual stocks, you're looking at ETFs, options work. How would you be playing it right now as an expert opinion? Look, I, I mean, there's a for and against for all of those mechanisms. Picking a stock is great until you pick the wrong stock. You know, and if we take Meta as an example, since we've been talking about it a little bit earlier, you know, if you go back 18 months ago with the metaverse, that was going to be the big thing. And they were spending so much money on developing that. I haven't actually heard flop. No one uses well, it. I, I, I haven't heard mention of it. It's just disappeared into the ether because now AI is the next thing that's come over the top of it. And, and so as an investor, you know, that, that provided a great buying opportunity into Meta where it was beaten down on an overspend on the metaverse, which no one could really see how it was going to make any money. That's so far in the rear view mirror now. Okay. We're now onto AI and this is what's going to happen. And the stock's performing really well in the bumper earnings. And we're back on with the show again. So that highlights the danger, I think, of individual stock investing because, it, you know, if you bought into the metaverse story and then all of a sudden it's a, a flop and, you know, you do 20, 30, 40% of your, your, your cash because the stock was down that much at one point in time do you just ride it out and hope they you know fix the ship which they obviously have that's a that's a pretty volatile and high-risk way of playing it you could amplify that of course with options or indeed use options to mitigate the risk through you know buying protection and so on so individual stocks i think if you've got the skill set and you've got a good bead on what's going on and this is such a blooming difficult and the capital to trade them, don't forget, yeah, they're, they're expensive. Not, they're not cheap stocks. So, you know, options do bring in a level of leverage and a, a, and a lower access point, I suppose. So that's a valid point you mentioned there, Mitch. I think, you know, you know, you, you could certainly, you know, long-dated call options if you've a bullish view are two ways of playing it. But you've got to have some pretty specialized knowledge. Yeah, back in the day, it was seeing as we're looking back in the day before all of this, yeah, let's dust this one off. Probably one of, right at the vanguard of all of this in mid-90s is a fund manager I worked with for a, a period of time, Brian Ashford Russell and Tim Woolley, two great fund managers to run a technology fund. And these guys just had their finger on the pulse. They're what you're competing against if you want to buy individual stocks because these are guys that were in on the B of the bang or the inference that there was about to be a B of the bang. Yeah, and that's what you're dealing with with individual stocks. And I think from a retail investor perspective, making that gateway nice and wide and removing stock-specific risk Maybe looking at an ETF instead. Yeah, and you can trade the NASDAQ, the triple Q ETF, which is which is ungeared and gives you exposure to all of the stocks in the NASDAQ. Yeah, which is which is a great diversification vehicle, maybe a little bit less risky. And as we started at the top of the the interview today, yeah, you might say, yeah, but investing in a diversific- diversification doesn't give you performance. The NASDAQ was up 41%. You'd be laughing. So, you know, there have been some stocks that have really led that and there have been others that have been laggards within there, but the NASDAQ in itself generated a cracking return. And maybe using some options around that make a lot of sense. I know we do that for, for our clients with strategies like hold the strike. Or you could gear up if you wanted to have a little bit more zing or use less capital towards this and use things like TQQ, which is the geared NASDAQ, triple geared, so it'll clear your pipes out pretty quickly if you're on the wrong side of it. 
But if it's triple geared, you could use a third of the cash and still have the same exposure to, to trading the NASDAQ. So Very it's nice. a bit of a different risk management way of doing it. That's probably how I'd be looking at it. And I think, you know, that gives you the ability to have a level of sleep at night. Combining an ETF with some options to mitigate the risk, great way to play it. But it's mind blowing and it's so hard sitting in the seat here. I'm looking at you now and you're a different generation. And I've grown up in an, an environment that was for, you know, the first sort of tw 18, 20 years of my life, there wasn't particularly the internet. And then the balance of my life, there has been. And I'm glad I've seen both sides of the coin. And again, talking to my dad that was in an environment where when he was a kid, you know, laboring on a farm, looking up in the air at an airplane, his big dream in life was, will I ever get to go on an airplane and travel somewhere? No, he travels the world. It reminds you of just how far we've come in such a short period of time in two generations from gazing up going, I wonder if I'm ever going to fly to clicking on an app that knows your travel preferences for heading to Europe in the summer and knows that you want an aisle seat and you want it in business class and this is your preferred departure airport. That's how far things have come and it's so easy to lose sight of that. Is it the end? I don't think so. People were calling the end of this, as I say, in 2001 when I was trading the dot-com boom and bust. Oh, that's it. Tech's done. Next thing. And here we are 20 plus years later. It's still front and center. It's still the topic of conversation. It's still challenging the boundaries of conventional thinking with new solutions. Some good, maybe some less so. That's not the debate today. But at the same time, it's almost you got to look back with admiration at the brains trust that come up with some of the concepts, ideas, and things that we're seeing there now. And these people are way smarter than I can ever aspire to be. And they're changing the world in a good way when the tools are used in the right way. Just like money. People say money is evil. Money is not evil. It's the way people choose to use it. If you're a good person, it's just an amplification of being good. If you're a bad person, it's an amplification of being bad. Technology is the same. It's not to be scared. It's something, if it's applied in the right way, can be a genuine game changer where, let's say you live in a remote area where there's no doctor, but you can do call-in and use a service where your doctor can give you a very accurate diagnosis over the internet, on the line, without you leaving your home and having to maybe go through inclement weather or travel in a difficult city or travel miles to see your doctor. Incredible that that can do. So there's so much good that sits in there. And I do think this is just the start. Whilst we might see some volatility in this market, as we always will with markets that put on 40% plus in a year, there's always going to be some profit taking at some point. The actual opportunity created by technology going forward, I think, is bigger now than it's ever been, even at these levels in markets. It's just a question of timing, when to hop on the bus, and maybe when to, when to put a bit of padding on because it's going to get rough. Tech stocks, boom or bubble, I think we can probably safely arrive at boom and probably continued boom for now. AB, thanks very much for your insights today. My pleasure. Anytime, Mitch. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure you give us a review and a rating. It helps more people get the show and we'll look forward to seeing you next week.